Welcome to the Untapped Potential podcast. We focus on real stories from performance practitioners that highlight the inconvenient truths within performance sport that affects so many. We're guided by measuring our individual success by external benchmarks, fueled by a relentless drive to upskill only through the technical lens. This leaves us with huge blind spots within ourselves that limit our happiness and the impact we deliver. It's easy to learn the scientific principles of our trade. The hard part is mastering our human side, which was forgotten amidst the data, programs, promotions, medals, and papers published. In this podcast, we aim to carve out the non-technical specific skills required to thrive and activate the untapped potential within the men and women who serve in the support roles behind the world's best athletes. The untapped potential unlocks the qualities that are most important for you to show up in your role, career, and life in your fullest expression leading to a desperately needed change in culture within our high-performance environments that unlocks profound impact and deeper fulfillment in your being. Welcome to episode one of this podcast, and it's going to be with me, Richard Usaini. And really, I want to give you a deeper understanding of where this comes from, why I'm doing it, and kind of what's ahead, what you're going to get from this. Now, first off, if you're looking for a podcast for practitioners regards to technical application of knowledge, application of skills, this is not the podcast for you. There are so many amazing podcasts out there. Pacey Performance is one that jumps to mind. So I direct you in that direction. This podcast is really looking at you, the practitioner, and behind that, the man or woman, who you are behind your role, because our role is one aspect of who we are. I'm going to give you a little bit about my background and why I am doing this in the first place. And then going to go into the research that I've done with over 160 performance staff from around the world that sets the tone to this podcast to give you a bigger understanding of why this is even happening. So by trade, I am a strength and conditioning coach and for had a career for around 16 years. And I did enjoy much of my career, certainly elements to it. Up until 2014, I was laser focused on my career. And all I mean by that is Everything else fitted in around it, relationships and hobbies and all this kind of stuff. My external life outside of my work was secondary. My primary was my work. I was a strength and conditioning coach. It wasn't something I did. It was completely baked into my identity. And so up until 2014, that didn't really bother me. I wasn't really aware of what that was doing for me or to me. The wake-up call for me came when I was working in China at the time with Exos uh, between Shanghai and Beijing, and my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now, that I left that job, left that position, came home and gave her end-of-life care, and she passed away in April 2015. As sad as that was and is, it has been the most transformational experience of my life today. And what I mean by that is it it really underpinned or really gave me a massive spiritual awakening. And all I mean by that on a fundamental level is awareness of self. Why do I think this? Why do I do that? Why are my actions, thoughts, and feelings the way they are? And I was forced to also face the grief of losing my father. I lost my dad at 16. He was an alcoholic and he had a massive stroke when I was 13, died when I was 16. And at that time, a 16-year-old boy, I was caught up in the stories of what I was being told. For example, big boys don't cry. Think of the good times. Repression of grief. And I was emotionally naive then as well. So I didn't really understand, kind of, I had no skills then to to deal with that. So fast forward to 2015, all of that came up as well, which literally broke me emotionally, everything. And I am grateful for that moment 
of being so low because it's helped me rebuild my life in a way that I that I want to. And so fast forward two years, that massive point of reflection was then enhanced even further because I was then physically broken. And what I mean by that, my mother passed away of terminal cancer, um, thyroid cancer. Almost two years after the day, I had my thyroid, a biopsy done on my thyroid. There are nodules found. And the results were inconclusive. No cancer, but they were suggested, well, we think you should have half your thyroid removed. So I went ahead and had that process. In hindsight, I would not have had that done. And so I was then told that my body had an autoimmune condition called Hashimoto's and I was going to be on medication the rest of my life. A side note to that is I have actually fully recovered and healed myself now, and which I was told was not possible. And that's for another story. So in 2017, I was physically broken. From the reflections of all the things I have went through up until in those few years, it showed me that I had significant underlying anxiety and I couldn't see it. I used exercise and drinking to numb my feelings. So drinking, before I went out, I would have a few shots just to feel level. That was considered normal, completely normal. The one probably more more insidious was the exercise. Now, I knew better, yet I trained like I didn't know. I was overtraining. I was doing absurd things, and I couldn't see it at the time. And in hindsight, I do see why I was doing that, why I wasn't listening to my own advice or my own knowledge and experience. It's because that that overtraining was buying me a, a period of time of emotional peace. Yeah, I couldn't see it. I couldn't understand that that was what I was doing. And then the next day, the internal narrative would begin again. I had significant feelings of low self-worth. I was highly self-critical. I was never happy professionally or personally. My development was only through the technical lens. I have huge imposter syndrome. An example of that was when I was at the EIS. We'd regularly meet as a department, talking about coaching philosophy or rationales and whatever we're, we're talking about. And I would freeze. I would stutter. I would be unable to truly express my, my honest, true professional thoughts because I was too worried about what if people thought I'd said something wrong. I was sounds stupid, whatever it was. I was so held back by my own limiting beliefs. And I was not truthful to myself or to other people. I was portraying a, a version of myself that I thought other people wanted to see rather than being truly true with who I was. And so one epiphany came from all of this process, many, but this one stands out. That was one of them. Of all my complaints in professional, the gym's like this, it's not good enough, needs more equipment, or the coaches or the athletes or whatever it was, were not living up to a certain level that I expected. And then within my relationships as well, into relationships, this person would do this and then she would do that and then someone else and someone else. All of a sudden it just lined up. I am the fixed variable within this my situations all the different situations yeah i had the same complaint i was the only i was the familiar which blew my mind oh no and that this is what really drove me into understanding myself and so my path to now i left performance sport in 2018 after the pyeongchang winter olympic games and i was in fact let go by gb park and pike thankfully wonderful people there I dived, forced me to, not force me, I, I was driven, I was so focused and curious that I dived really deep into spiritual quantum practices. I opened myself up to new ways of thinking and being. 
And I studied and formally studied and also self-studied in areas of leadership, communication, behavioral change, human dynamics, yoga, meditation, breathwork, and esoteric and indigenous philosophies. And so at the since leaving in 2018, I've been working in this type of space. But the end of November 21, I, I kind of asked myself this question. If I was subjectively successful in my career within sport, does anyone else experience a similar struggle? So I asked. I'm not an academic. I'm not doing a PhD. I'm not working at university. This was all off my own back. This curiosity was just overwhelming, really, and I just wanted to seek some answers, which led me to, up until this day, I've interviewed 160 performance staff from around the world. Now, that's all backroom staff, physios, nutritionists, data analysts, physiologists, S&C coaches, sports scientists, performance directors, sports coaches, head coaches, head of performance and head of academic programs, all men. Not because female coaches have it easy. They do not at all. They have very nuanced, similar and nuanced situations they are, they are they're navigating. I have got my lens through the male lens, and which is why I just stuck to, stuck to the male, uh, male practitioners. And I've had some wonderful conversations, which I'm bringing to this podcast from amazing female coaches. I covered 17 sports so far. All the top leagues, Major League Baseball, Major League Base, sorry, Major League Baseball, NBA, Major League Soccer, UFC, Premier League Football, NFL, Formula One, the major institutes, UK Sports Institute, Australian Institute, New Zealand Institute, cricket, the rugby codes, AFL, pro cycling, many Olympic winter summer sports. So from college, club, county, and international level, and these from eleven countries from around the world, UK, France, Finland, Germany, Holland, USA, Canada, Australia, Sweden, South Africa, and Thailand so far. With all of that, it's important to say that I've reached out to psychotherapists and psychologists within my network. And there are two reasons I did that. One, well, from what I'm finding, what do you, uh, what do you see? You know, I'm seeing this, what do you see? And also to, to remain appropriate within my skill set, to stay within the, 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 the realms of my skill set. And so the cost of the research that I've undertaken is massive. Broken relationships, divorce, many are absent parents. They're just not around for their children. Many are experiencing some form of depression, anxiety. A common statement would be stuck in my head. Addiction. And in two cases, extreme cases, attempted suicide physical illness. Many on a day-to-day -day basis feel alone. This leads to an inability to be their best self, which is performance compromised at work, which means, and also leading to many are leaving their coaching profession. They're looking to leave, leave professional sport. And so there are seven common reasons why coaches are quietly suffering. And I want to sort of touch on a few of them. Well, I've touched on those seven. There are more, but these are the common ones. The first one are markers of success. And what this talks about really is un many are unclear whether they've done a good un good job or not in performance. They're using benchmarks of success defined by others, not their own internal measures. And many have achievement, but not meaning. And here are two quotes just to kind of give you that a sense of that. So this is from a lead performance coach. I had a tough time after athletes I supported achieved Olympic success. I felt directionless and aimless. In my mind, I thought that having an athlete winning gold was the pinnacle of what we do and why we do it. But after they won, I was waiting for some kind of feeling of achievement to hit, and it just never did. 
Second one, lead physio. I'm very successful in my career and financially, but I don't feel the happiness I expected. I've complained a great deal about my working conditions, but I've come to the realization that maybe my problems are not my work, but within myself. The second common reason this is, everyone would have touched this on some level, poor work-life balance. And really this is defined really by the figurehead. And then usually that's the, that's the head of the department. Not always though. 24-7 mentality, badge of honor, skewed loyalty. And an example of skewed loyalty is from a coach who was who is in the Premier League football. One of his colleagues booked her for a day off to go and spend it with his partner because they were going to go to a prenatal class as she was pregnant. Now, later that day, this coach overheard two colleagues questioning this guy's loyalty for taking the day off. I personally don't believe it's evil. I don't believe it's malicious. I think it's just an example where we get so lost in our on our job, the overimportance we build up to such a big thing, we get lost of a check on, on reality on, on our other aspects of our life. These two examples. So a lead first team physio rehab coach working 24 hours a day, seven days a week was down to poor governance by me and the support management. The roles didn't allow me to see my kids. My kids always said, Dad, why are you always on your phone? Even when I'm home with them, I'm not at home with them. Second one from the lead performance coach. My relationship broke down. I'm always away. I'm always down on energy, unable to see friends and family. I feel guilty that it's my fault and I'm tired of every human interaction being a transaction. I'm lonely. The third common reason is undefined boundaries. Now, obviously, this ties in very closely with poor work-life balance. And one of the underpinning or major factors to undefined boundaries is really many don't know how to say no, often due to a fear of reprisal or unclear with their personal professional drivers. So values, for example, or even if they are aware of all that kind of stuff, the working environment, the professional environment is requiring them to live and work out of alignment with them on a consistent basis. Lead nutritionist example. I'm just frustrated. There are so many things that bump up against my morals and personality. And in 10 years' time, I don't want to be moaning about missing important milestones in my life. I'm bending my boundaries to allow me to do the practicality of my role in football. Last example in this case. So it's a technical coach from Elite Rugby League. Was I any good at it? I was running regularly into people who asked me what had happened after I got fired. I had a lot of identity tied up where I was. I have regrets. You know, Could I have had children? I glorified my badge of honor to how long can I be in on the run? I spent six to seven weeks in on the run at times. I kidded myself that I needed to be in all of the time. The reality is there isn't an end point to performance. There is no accepted moment in time when we can say we are done. So it's up to us to set our boundaries. No one else is going to do it. The fourth common reason is a big one, emotionally unskilled. And what this talks about is really many find it hard to be alone with their thoughts. They numb themselves instead. Now, I think about my examples of exercise and alcohol. My exercise was a way of numbing my feelings. We're, many are caught in their story. They accept their thoughts as 100% reality. They cannot get perspective. They're unaware of how to get, or unaware that it, there is an actual step to get aware, distance on their thoughts. Some are either unaware, unskilled, or most likely don't feel safe to express their truth for fear of the perception of others. 
classic male hard outlook. So sign of weakness, incompetence, repressed male traits in our Western culture, such as suck it up. Two examples, head of sports science. I joined that crew that glorifies being at work all day. I had nothing else, and that was my whole identity and being. All I was was a sports scientist. I didn't have any other hobbies or interests. I was almost arrogant levels of assured of what my beliefs were. I only followed the logic, and I felt so sure dismissing anything to do with feelings, emotions, or spirituality. Classic male hard outlook. I was a complete angry person with tiny patience. This is from a lead strength and condition coach. I don't know because I'm not a specialist, but I'd certainly say in hindsight, I was displaying all signs of burnout and depression. I wasn't able to see it though. There are some days where I just didn't want to get out of bed and that's a classic sign of depression. I also started to rely more heavily on alcohol to switch off and to help me sleep and stuff like that. But I just couldn't see it. And I lived on my own so no one could point it out. So the fifth common reason, and this is low self-esteem. This is insidious. This is a hard one to see. This affected me greatly and many of the, the coaches or practitioners that I've spoken with. And this talks about seeking validation. Their happiness is baked into the success of their athletes and unable to express their opinions. And particularly, there's an achievement feedback loop that perpetuates this issue. Now, the achievement feedback loop, fueled by low self-esteem, leads to a high drive to self-improve which then means that their self-esteem is anchored to their job. Then their success is based on achievement. They then seek peer or social validation. There is then an expectation to keep delivering at that standard or higher, which then drives skewed thoughts, feelings, and actions and continues this cycle. Just for a moment, like, does any of that resonate with you? Has it ever resonated with you at some point in your career to date? Here are two examples. So firstly, from a lead strength and condition coach. I perceive not achieving as a failure, which falls on me because I have the prerequisite tools to achieve those things. I felt pressure to achieve the markers of what people perceive me as being really good at. So I was inevitably going to fail, which drove me into a hole. This is from a director of performance. I was working 6.7 days a week across a 12-month period. I wasn't seeing my kids and my wife, and I hit this brick wall that made me realize you know what? This isn't right. But before that, well, I couldn't see it. And I just thought I was leading the way to something important in sport. The sixth common reason is identity. Again, affected me greatly. I was a strength finishing coach. It wasn't something that I did, which leaving many feeling trapped because they're defending their professional identity at, in sport as a coach at all costs. And I think you've heard this most likely you've heard this and how this relates to you in your life but beginning a sentence with my athletes i think that to me now is a really good clue into giving you a gauge of how tightly your identity is baked into or your role is baked into your identity right now a better way for me is the athletes i coach or the athletes i support so this is my lead sports psychologist we are continually concerned about having athletes with narrowly limited identities, but look around and show me a staff member who, is, who isn't at risk of burnout and isn't being exploited for their passion and identity. This is from a senior performance coach. I knew I needed to make myself bulletproof and secure, but that meant stepping away from everything again. 
I was offered a private gig, but everyone recognizes me for being involved in professional sport. Or I think that's the case, but no one actually really gives a fuck now I've come to realize it. The final one, stuck in their head. And this relates to always thinking about what's next. That's whether that's career progression, qualifications, CPD, stages of season, stages of Olympic cycle, which is leaving many unable to be present with themselves, with their partner, with their children, and also unable to celebrate the present moment, unable to celebrate the wins they've got. So the any achievements that practices have had, they can't celebrate it because they think, right, next, 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 constantly chasing the thing. Last two quotes from a senior strength and vision coach, this one. From the outside looking in, I'm very successful at my job. I don't have any hobbies or areas of interest away from watching my athletes play. I don't have anything else outside my work that inspires me. It's hard because when I finish work, what do I do when I get home? If I don't work, I think too much and then I get lonely. If work is going bad, it's hard to step away from it. Head of performance. I never switch off because I've seen it as my life and not what it is, which is just the job. No one asked me to do that, by the way. I've put that expectation on myself. Now, the supporting evidence is really powerful as well. There's a few papers, and I'm, I'll link them to the, below this podcast so you can check them out yourself. One from uh, Pilkington, which was uh, in 2022. So the prevalence of correlates of mental health symptoms and well-being among elite coaches. And really what that paper shows is that performance staff have just as much mental health symptoms that would warrant professional treatment as do athletes. But when you think about it, athletes have a support network around them. Whether they choose to use that is another question, but they do have that available to them, whereas coaches have nothing. Second paper by DeWolf and Dither Bide, which was again was out in 2022, really looking at, so beware the blues, well-being of coaches and sports staff throughout the Olympic Games. All that saying is the post-Olympic period was a time of particular difficulty. Yet again, there's nothing there for the coaches, nothing at all that I've come to come across anyway at this moment, present moment in time, is there to support coaches through that phase. Paper was published recently in Feb 23, looking at stakeholder conceptualizations of mental health and mental illness in English Premier League academies. Really, their findings are attributed to a culture that stigmatizes help-seeking, lack of understanding of the spectrum of mental health, and limited resources of a club and regulatory body level. Now, limited resources, this is they're talking about Premier League clubs here. I would question that there's probably no other sport that has more disposable income available, or not disposable income, but, but uh, funding available. And I think take, and take another step back, stigmatization and help-seeking. I think that's men in general, personally. And lastly, uh, looking at, say, the divorce rates in NFL coaches, which is at 60%. 6% of NFL coaches have been or going through a divorce, which points to, and I touched on earlier, points to the figure front. Who is actually leading? This is a quote from a performance coach in elite football. I feel there's a perception where we have to be strong leaders and show no cracks. I don't sense other coaches who are driven for their own kind of success look outside of anything else of high-performance sport. So when the tiniest little thing goes wrong, it becomes this huge issue. The figure front is a divorced male who works all the hours. 
I feel trapped because I'm quite well looked after my salary, but there are so few jobs that earn a similar salary. I feel I have to, I've got nowhere to go, meaning I can't get off. And so to me, this highlights a conundrum and some questions to ask. Firstly, who is setting the expectations for the staff? What holes do they have in their person that has been transferred to you and the rest of the support staff? What is at the core of their drive to achieving success in sport? In other words, what aspects of themselves are they trying to fulfill in their pursuit of perceived excellence? Do they feel that medals and achievements will fill their sense of lack and low self-esteem they carry within them? And this final one is the most important question. Are they even aware of the potential of that? Me personally, this is where I am now. As we currently sit, we currently call our environments high performance. But the reality is we do things every day that prevent ourselves and other people from giving their truth and their best. And this is really one of the, the main drivers between this podcast or why this podcast is happening. How do we change it? There are two avenues that I see changing. The first one is obviously through organizational institute changing the culture, which I've got some clear ideas on, and we're going to discuss this broad, more broadly on this podcast. The second, and I think the first portal call, is taking personal responsibility. If you've not read this book, again, the link to this is below, but I highly recommend it. Viktor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. Quote from that book. When we are no longer able to change our situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. With all 160 interviews, I asked everyone the same question at the end. How would you answer this question? And the question is, I want to go from feeling this to feeling that, so that. Here are three examples. So from a head of sports science, I want to go from a place of always searching for one better to a place of peace and presence so that I can be fulfilled and satisfied in my life and with the people I love. Second is from a lead performance coach. I want to go from feeling lack of belief and fear of failure to a place of happiness and fulfillment so that I feel like I'm making the most out of the time I've got. Third one from performance director, last one. I want to go from feeling restricted to having options so that I can be free to make the most of my life. What I want, when I want, how I want. Now, what do you notice about listening to that? There's no description of job role, of type of sport, of athletes, of medals won, anything like that. They're talking about core feelings. They want to be peace, present, fulfilled, satisfied. They want to, again, happiness, fulfillment, go to freedom. And so this is where my work comes in. And from all that process, from talking to all 160 practitioners, has born and really birthed this process that I provide now called looking beyond the coach or really what I know it as as a practitioner needs analysis. You all know, we all know what needs analysis is. We've all done that many times with the athletes and sports we've worked in. Yet, have you ever turned that process in on yourself? And so the practitioner needs analysis is really quite simple. And I, I love this quote by Louis Simmons. I think it sums it up. When you attempt to build capacity on dysfunction, you are actually deepening the attractive state of your compensation not capacity. Very true for training. And I also believe very true for our thoughts, feelings, and actions. So the question is, how much of your development is aimed at you, the man, woman, beyond your role as whatever role you hold? 
there's many opportunities here. And I fully believe that we have it on. It just opens up so much in our profession, the impact we can deliver, happiness in our life, connection to our partners, and understanding who we are as a being. And there are three, the way I see it, there are three levels to us. So the first level, how you show up. So that talks about the think, your thinking process, how you self-regulate, how you communicate, the assumptions you make. Second level is your compass. So that addresses your values or encompasses your values, your needs, your wants, your beliefs, your identities, and your awareness of how all of that interacts your day-to-day life. And the final level layer to you is your freedom. And this talks really addresses integrity, authenticity, heart-based purpose, vision. And so you can link this, really, your needs analysis is really based around three questions then. So level one, how you show up. So what do I think? Second question for me is what do I want? And the third question is what do I commit to? So what do I think? For example, what is your measure of success? What is your measure of sacrifice? Second question, what do I want? What are some of your values? Do you know what your values are? Do you know what identities are sticky for you? Do you know what's keeping you limited versus what's what's empowering your growth? And the third question, what do I commit to? It's one thing to understand your values, know your values. But what actions are you committing? Are you aligned to them? For me, it's really about paying attention to the decisions you make every day. How many of them are reactions to external circumstances? And how many of them are made with a deliberate intention, keywords there, deliberate intention to align your behaviors with your values. And this is why this podcast is here, the untapped potential, to really dive into these questions, dive into this in a deeper way, to to unlock and to empower you to find those non-technical elements within that all of us have that are most important for you to show up in your role, your career, life, and your fullest expression. And so the guests that come on, we're going to be not going to talk about any technical elements. We're going to be talking, really addressing these components. One, the people who are leading big teams who have achieved great things. How do they do it themselves? What's put them onto this, this self-growth journey? And two, how do they empower maybe people they lead in the department or within the team organization to enter that self-growth journey as well? The practitioner's analysis is done in two ways. So if you're interested, there's a group, a group coaching program where a group of peers come together and we go through this process ourselves. There's also one-to-one options. If this sounds interesting to you, then then just reach out. You can either book a call, a free call on the web, Men Behind Sport website at www.menbehindsport.com or reach out to me directly on email at richard at menbehindsport.com. So thank you. This is the first episode. I'm really excited for you to listen to the conversation that's coming in series, series one. There's some amazing practitioners, both men and women, female coaches who have done some amazing work already in this space in our in our beloved sports environment. And so I'm, I'm really excited for you to, to listen to those and to the valuable teachings that they've got to deliver. So thank you for stepping onto this journey with me. I'm excited. And if you like 
this podcast, if this podcast starts to feed you and gives you some wonderful things to reflect on, please leave a review on either iTunes or Spotify because that's going to help this podcast directly reach more practitioners. So until the next episode, thank you. And I look forward to your reactions.